Alrighty, let's get it going. Hey everybody, this is Lovely Mordellis with the Financial Griot Podcast. This is our first episode. I'm super excited because the three of us have been talking about wealth, talking about our life stories, helping each other, but now you guys get to hear us on a podcast. Sounds weird, but it's going to be really, really good. Um, we're excited to have you just for your, if you're listening for the first time, of course you're listening for the first time because this is the first episode, like duh. But um, Lauren, Atlanta, and myself um, decided that it would be really, really great if we get on a podcast so that you can listen to it anytime because we have a clubhouse room that sometimes you miss. And this is a way to gather together and talk about our money stories, to talk about life in general and how to be better. And it's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. And I'm going to say that again. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be great because I believe in speaking life into things. And I want you guys to know we're positive people, but you might hear some not so positive things throughout the episodes. So <laughs> um, I just wanted to let y'all know that, you know, it just might happen, but we're, we're good people. We're good people. So we're going to set that tone that we're good and positive people. And so I'm going to let a Lawrence in Atlanta introduce himself. Um, they're the GOAT in their own personal stories, like literally G-O-A-T, because the greatest of all time. And so Atlanta is going to be segueing here and just introducing herself. And then she's going to pass it on to Lawrence. If she's nice to Lawrence today on this episode, you guys <laughs> enjoy it. Okay. Just really, really enjoy it. So Atlanta, what's up? Hey, 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 what's going on, lovely? And welcome to all the listeners. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to our first episode um, to our podcast. So like Lovely mentioned, we constantly, you know, we create a room on the clubhouse. So we just want to expand more, <laughs> you know, extend our reach here in the podcast. So like Lovely mentioned, my name is Atlanta. Um, so with my story is, 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 is a pretty, I guess, uh, normal story, how we start out with wealth and that's, you know, basically the negative, right? Um, so it took a friend of mine to ask me, what is my net worth? Um, and at that time, I was afraid to tell them because of the shame and the guilt and feeling lesser than. Um, but I think with that conversation alone, kind of just uh, pivot my own financial journey and now get into a positive network of over $200,000, as well as um, being a first time home buyer, um, giving an opportunity to my family to um expand on the conversation of what is wealth to them. And what is wealth to me is sharing. Um, I think that a lot of things that I could have uh, prevented if I would have known is simply because enough of us do not share our stories and what is going on in our lives so others can learn and to pivot from book for their own experiences. So I'm just so excited and I'm happy to um, be here with you guys, um, be with my friends, uh, my partners in crimes, even a little sprinkle of toxicity with Miss, you know, Lawrence <laughs> here and out, here and there. But I'm excited. So thank you guys for tuning in. Lawrence, you toxic today? Are you feeling well? Like, what's what's your mood? What's going on? Wow, way to kind of <laughs> set the tone, make it seem like I'm the troublemaker out here. But I'm happy and elated to be uh, part of this group, as well as to be surrounded by pun intended, lovely young ladies who are also wealth builders and uh, moving forward in our life cycles. I believe the reason that we picked the word the Financial Griot podcast is because the, the word griot itself, we're Haitian Americans. We didn't start off with, a, uh, with that silver spoon. However, throughout our process, just like Atlanta stated, we wanted to share all the pieces, all the nuggets to get us to, from point A to point B. And that's what the griot is all about. The idea that we, have, we are storytellers, we have a beginning, a middle, and an end to where we are. Um, my net worth right now is over, me and my wife's net worth is over $500,000. So we're pushing towards a million dollar status. And I think in our lifetime, we could definitely tackle the racial wealth gap. So part of what the ladies have been talking about is that we're going to talk about some hard hitting, you know, um, conversation that we need to have in our communities in order to get you from point A to point B. And that's our goal. All right. Lawrence came in there real smooth. Look at that. Look at hey, that. Hey, see, no toxic, no toxic. Now we can actually have a conversation. What's up? I know, no toxic. <laughs> it, it was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. Um, I definitely think that we're gonna we're gonna hit this this nail really hard is black wealth. And I think Lawrence mentioned that tackle the wealth gap. The it's gonna be a 
it's not going to be. It is a big topic. Um, it's We see the stats, we see the article, and it comes out like every year. And every year it comes out, like everybody's sharing it, everybody's commenting on it, but very little is actually being done. And one of the things you'll notice with us is that we're going to always point you to what action are you taking? Like, what are you going to do personally that will impact your life on the bottom line? When you think about everything, when business is being done as a business consultant, it's like, what's the bottom line? And the bottom line is for your life, if you don't get your financial life together, other areas suffer, your health, your relationships, the way you perceive yourself, value. Um, I love how Alanda was very transparent and vulnerable to say like, hey, when I got that question, it hit me like, wait, I don't want to say, and do I really even know? Because that's another thing. Do you even know what's your network? But we're going to talk about today is just like, what is back wealth and why do we even feel like it's important? And I'll, and I'll just tell you why for me it's important. Because for my mom, I grew up seeing her hustle. She worked really hard. She had a small business. She was working a day job. And but I've also seen points of her life where there was $50,000, $100,000 checks on the dinner table. Like that's like, oh, that's a lot of money not realizing it doesn't matter how much money you touch, it's how you keep it and grow it. And so when my mom had her stroke, I realized, oh crap, that silver spoon that I had is gone. Like mommy paying for everything without me thinking about it, without me, you know, questioning it. Cause my mom was the type of person that whatever we wanted, she would make a way for it to happen. But I realized that once my mom was not able to work anymore, there was no more money the there was no provision for her there was no life insurance there was no if she gets disabled which she did it really changed my perspective and one and I was 18 at the time so it was like dang we poor what, what? Like, I didn't know we had two cars we lived in this beautiful home and you know dear, so it's like okay I didn't realize that until you know you're like wait she won't give me 20 dollars no more and, you know, all these different things. So you kind of, you started to realize something was going on with the finance, but it wasn't until she had the stroke and I had to go into her bank account. I had to figure out what she had and she didn't have that I realized we pull. Like we do not have. And that was a wake up call for me, I thought. But it would take me three, four, five years after to really realize, like, if I don't change the way I'm doing life, that I'm going to be in the same position. And I won't be able to help my children. So for me, Black wealth and wealth in general is not only about money, but it's a state of lifestyle that I want to live where I'm not under pressure. I'm not stressed. I'm not going crazy. And I have the freedom to have options. My mom didn't have options. And I don't want that. And I want that to stop with me. So I had to learn. I had to change my projection. And I'm still learning. I'm still making mistakes, but taking those mistakes and turning into lessons and actually making a change. And that's just where I'm at with my journey on wealth, like just learning and knowing my why and not just sitting here thinking that it's always going to be okay or I just can, can complain. Right. That's, that's actually, <laughs> that's actually uh, somewhat similar to mine because you mentioned about um, having more options, right? In, in my, in, in my life, in my childhood, uh, my father unexpectedly passed away when I was a child and my mom had to um, go into survivor mode because now she was raising, raising uh, at that time, only three of us who were under the age of three at the time. So everyone was in diapers, right? And my mom um, didn't have much education, didn't speak the language as much. So um, it was complete survivor mode. And I think seeing my mom going to survivor mode for so long, uh, I guess, you know, that experience kind of just uh, went on me to constantly go into survival mode. It's just having enough, right? Not just having, you know, um, amplitude amount of money or investing or um, uh, conversations about having options. I didn't think of options for me. It was about having enough for the next day, paying bills. Can you eat? You know, do you have uh, clothes on your back? It was just survival mode constantly. So, Black wealth to me is having options, not only having options, being well within those options, living um, optimized life of just being happy. And what that's looked like to me is allowing my children to be in a safe space 
and um, expose experiences to them that I wasn't exposed to because we didn't have the options. We were constantly in the survival mode. I don't want my children to be in a survival mode. I want that to end with me. So the, the, the experiences that I'm learning and the lessons I'm learning within my journey of, of Black Wealth is, is, is ultimately a sacrifice too, because I am sacrificing a lot of, um, I guess, um, delayed gratification, if you want to say, to have those things for my, the next generation or for my family. So those are things I'm really working hard uh, to, and you guys keep me accountable um, a little sprinkle toxic, you know, a little bit of my wellness with lovely, but that's, that's what I really want. And, and I feel as though I got to this point because we shared, you know, that first conversation with Lawrence, um, about net worth and, um, you know, introducing to lovely, get on your podcast for the first time, just sharing and sharing and sharing. So we're creating a space that we could be vulnerable. We won't have all the answers because we're still <laughs> trying to figure it out. Right. But it's Okay. Because everyone else in your circle and the people that you're reaching to are trying to figure out themselves. So I'm so happy that the Black wealth um, that we are obtaining and, and getting to, it will lead those resources and guidance for the next generation. So Black, black wealth for me is having options and extending my reach to help others. Wow, oh, I can actually uh, piggyback a lot from you know this conversation we were having right now. I think life finances itself i think sometimes people think it's um you know you can't have one or the other you can't just live your dreams you can't do all of that but i think finances is, is just the intersectionality between our health our wealth our fulfillment our relationships with other people it's just the means by we by which we trade you know either trade knowledge trade resources trade time ultimately finances finds its way in our lives and i you know to echo everybody else i remember watching a lot of women in my family a lot of my aunts struggle with uh, money management and you even though they tried not you know to put that in that face you know that everything was all right but I could still tell I think they just yeah you know, for them they thought oh you're a kid you're not paying attention but I'm watching them I'm watching the way their their hands would like wrestle with like a wheel behind you know when they get bad news or the way when my my aunts would come in at um after work after a long day of work she'd unplug everything like all the 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 telephones around, especially when they was all cordless, all cord in, you know, they'll, they'll, she'll unplug every last one of them because she did not want to get any calls from the creditors. That scared the, the hell out of her all the time. And you could tell she just wasn't doing too well with that. And she was racking up credit card debt for whatever, for whatever reason. I don't know if it was because she needed some stuff or she wanted some stuff. She just did not know how to manage it well. And it was catching up to her. So it felt like the walls were always closing in on her, which made it harder for the rest of the family you know, to even expand and improve. And I think that's what the wealth is all about. The idea that we can have opportunities beyond just surviving. And that's why I do what I do. And that's why I share as much as I do. And one of those um, quotes that Lovely stated that comes around every year, I believe it says it's like uh, the white, the medium wealth of a white family is $171,000 um, on average, about maybe 17 times the, the amount that the Black uh, family has. The medium for the Black family would be like 17150 So it's, all, it's always this ex extreme uh, differential. Why? Because of ownership. We, and it's not just owning just like a home or investments. We, we don't even own ourselves. We don't own our own time. And we also, ultimately, we don't own our own authenticity. We, don't, we do not allow, you know, generally Black people to just be themselves. That's the big problem. And I'd, I'd want to encourage everybody, just in the end of the day, if you're not the one to go to brunch, that's okay. If you're the, the kid that loves to go to the, the library, that's fine too. If you're the kid that want to go to bars and nobles over the day party, that's okay too. If you want to go for a hike, a walk, you know, that kind of, we need to just untether ourselves from these ideas and allow people to be themselves. And that, therefore we can grow and expand our community in the way that we think about it. That's... Yeah, maybe that might be toxic for some of y'all. No. Or triggering. No, <laughs> or triggering. no it's not. <laughs> no, we'll call you out when it's, you know, a little fuzzy. But that one was... <laughs> no, you hit a nail on that. Um, the ownership of who you are, that authenticity, and then the clarity of who we are matters so much. And if every day you're said, this is what it is to be Black, and you're not checking off the boxes, and you feel like you have to live a life of performance, 
we end up having to perform our financial selves as well. We end up having to perform our relationship selves. And so you get in a relationship or you get in community and you feel as if like, well, if I'm not listening to this particular rapper or I'm not dressed this particular way, then I'm not necessarily Black. What ends up happening is that we're just making photocopies. And everybody knows that the original and the copies, the more you copy, it's not the same. It loses its luster. It loses its value. And if you cannot be honest with who you are or be okay with who the person you are being not accepted, then you live a life where you do have to perform. And I think that's where that the habits of like buying a home that's too big, buying a car that's too expensive, buying clothes that you don't even care to impress people that don't even like you. And you probably don't like them either. So it's like we do these things and then we're like, oh, my gosh. We don't own anything, but I think it's so powerful that you said that owning ourselves, whoo, that like, is a gem, a gem, okay? I think it's a, the quote where they said that you you are born an original, but yet people are tri- striving to die a copy. Ooh. The idea that you're always trying to be something that you're really not. And I find myself, especially in my 20s, in these type of like happy hours where I'm, I'm not even happy. I'm just out there just sitting there bored. You know, I wish I was doing something else. So if given the opportunity, I I would have rather just gone home and read some manga, you know, and, and write some anime. It was just yeah. me or just go anywhere. I used to travel around uh, D.C. when I got here taking photos because that's kind of what I'm into. I'm not into everything that everybody else is into. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think not everybody has that uh, spirit of self to really recognize you could be who you are without necessarily affirmation from others. You have to I- affirm yourself. Absolutely. For me, I think um, when you guys both touch on it about the photocopies is not only yourself and actually feel as though that being black or being beautiful is is slightly different, too. Um, I had to validate my own beauty um, growing up, you know, being my chocolate drop self. <laughs> you, you're constantly being, you know, um, I guess the standards of beauty is is slightly different if you're not a a particular shade, unfortunately. And I think that I try to place myself um, wearing color contacts and uh, different sort of um, hairstyles just to feel as though I am part of that beauty standard and and not not, uh, really taking more inward of who I truly am because uh, I didn't really like weed that much because I'm really tenderheaded. My scalp hurts. <laughs> like, I, I didn't care. But the pain that I, and the torture and everything I was going through, just so that this is what it means <laughs> to stay beautiful or to be beautiful or to, um, I guess, be in the standard of even thinking someone who may be attractive to you, right? Um, so I think that's that's a lot of photocopy that we don't realize that we're doing until we kind of just, like, sit still and, and to come to understanding that, hey, if you don't want to go out, if you don't want to put weave in your hair, if you don't want to do all these things, that's fine. Um, the original um, people who are placing themselves in these like platforms and want to justify all these means doesn't necessarily mean that you are lesser than. Um, so that's, that's something I had to learn for myself. But I think it, it takes patience and time and self-actualization for people to come to that understanding, too. I think you have to leave. Like, I, you know what? I remember you before in college. And I also remember yeah. you after you came back from Korea. Korea, And I think yeah. there's, there's a pivotal change that happened to you that's right then and there where you left what they call the matrix. You left America. You left what it meant to be whatever you're trying to be. And then yeah. you're, you're casted all the way out there. And you just had to be yourself to survive. And I think right. when people are, are away from all these elements they tend to find something different that was always there. And I think mm-hmm. that to me is the different change that I saw when you came back from Korea. You were, it was almost like you're a different person. You're a person mm-hmm. that was willing to really try new things, really understand new concepts and just completely, you know, learn. Like you're more open and available to learn. I don't think a lot of people are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I, I mean, that. when you're placed in a situation where you don't speak the language and you're trying to get around, so you have, you're forced to learn there's there's no way <laughs> around it you're forced to learn but some people don't want to i guess get out their shell and, and out their uh safe bubble 
of, of their matrix, like you said. So for, for me, it, it was it was a lot of learning and coming back out that I still took that same spirit of, of, of adventure and wanted to learn to better my life because that better my life with that decision. Coming back, I'm still taking those same things to challenging to better my life. So, yeah, that's that's a good connection, a good point, too. And, you know, I got LASIK, so I, I didn't know how to act. You couldn't tell me nothing. I know how I can see. <laughs> I got LASIK surgery. So that, that was like great. Like I felt like I was seeing everything in my first 2020 vision. So that was awesome. Lovely. Did you have any one of those like aha moments for yourself? Like, you know, what really changed for you in your process? Like what do you what can you attribute it to? Like that moment, if there is a moment. There's a moment. 2016, moving from Florida to New Hampshire where there was nobody. And there's New Hampshire. Sorry, if you're from New Hampshire, you got, let me, let me, let me put some no hate. For you. No, no hate, no hate. Is, is black people in New Hampshire? It's black people. At the time, there was. <laughs> there, there was her population. I, I, no, I've been to New Hampshire. I'm like, I didn't see black people. I've been to Vermont and stuff like that. I ain't seen no real black people out there. <laughs> and then not only was I in New Hampshire, I wasn't in Manchester where it's a little bit more. I was in Salem, New Hampshire, which is like very like, okay, it looked like I walked into like a 1960s movie. I can't, I always say that. Like I walked into the store, all I saw was a whole bunch of people with blonde hair, you know, at the, at the cashier. And it literally looked like one of those old school movies. And, but before that transition, I had, I had this epiphany from 2014 that I knew that if I wanted to become who I knew that I was called to be, that I would have to move. Mm -hmm. But it took me two years to make the decision to actually do it. Like, you know how you know that you need to do something? Knowing is one thing, doing it is a whole other thing. And I yeah. I was literally in the space and I had already made decisions that I was going to go, but I didn't, I already put in my mind, well, I'm not going to go for long. I'll just go for a couple of months. And I remember this conversation that I was having with Lawrence. I always bring up this conversation as well. Lawrence is yeah, good. Yeah, I know this. I'm the person that always kind of sparks people. Just let y'all know. <laughs> when y'all get rich, y'all get rich and y'all be on Oprah. I'll remember that. <laughs> y'all hear that, right? Y'all heard that he's about to, what he really means, he's about to throw us on the bus on at Oh, yeah. I'll be on the opposite show, you know, watching. I'll be like, I'll be shaking y'all. Y'all better call me out. Y'all better hype me up. <laughs> Rivalry, you know? So we were having this conversation and I don't remember exact the words, but I remember how I felt. It was like, it was this weird, awkward pause. I think he heard what, I'm, what I was saying. And that's what I call those are divine moments where the person is speaking, but it's just like, it hits you differently. They could have said the same thing over and over, but that in that moment, how you felt, all the things. I remember I was in my mom's kitchen and he was just like, well, at one, one of these days, you're going to get fed up of caring of how other people feel about what you do and what, who you are. And you're going to stop caring about their opinions. And I was like, oh my God. I have spent 24, 25 years of my life through the lens of my mom, of pleasing her, pleasing my aunt, pleasing my family. And I didn't have a space to be vulnerable. And I was already fighting for the semblance of what it means to be lovely. And I've lost relationships. I've lost things because I was trying to please. And I then from there with parents realized that I was in a group of people that I was also pleasing. So the greatness that was lying within me was on the other side of me deciding that it didn't matter what people are going to say. Um, I didn't want to be that girl that, and my friend told me that too, that week was just a lot and he said to me, people are going to say that you you change. People are going to say, oh, you're hanging out with those people now. You don't care about us. We're the little guys. And he looked at me and said, but you need to, you need to be okay with that. Mm. And so that week, I just kept getting this message is if you allow people to dictate who you are, you will never become who you're supposed to be. And so I left. And in Salem, for that 18 months, I was stripped in the sense of what I thought my identity was attached to. My identity wasn't in my accolades. My identity wasn't in checking boxes. My identity wasn't who I could please or who I could say yes to. But my identity wasn't who, for me, I have a spiritual, I believe in God. So whoever God created me to be. And so... 
I leaned into that so deeply that it changed everything around me. I got out of debt. I got opportunities. I started a small business and literally within three months, 90 days, I made like over $10,000. I'm like, wait, what is, what is this? How do you do this? And it just started to, and, and what happened was even now, anytime that I'm stuck, I know exactly where I'm stuck. I'm thinking about some judgment. I'm thinking about how somebody's perceiving me. And because of that 2016 experience, I can always go back and literally go back to that moment and realize, nah, you're going to do this for you. And you're okay with the outcome. I became okay with my decisions and whatever outcome they were. It didn't matter if the outcome was bad, good, whatever. As long as I knew that within my soul, I was doing it because I felt that this is what I needed to do. I moved in that. And so that was my moment. And I draw back to that week sometimes. Like one of the biggest things, I was trying to start a business and I was like, "Ah." I drew back in that moment to make those decisions. So that was my aha. I got to go. And now I live in Massachusetts and living my best life. Even I guess setbacks, setbacks come in, come in even when you, you think you found your opportunities as well. Like everything is running great. It's like a machine and it's just like an all automatic, right? And everything is, is fine. Uh, with, with me, there's been so many um, aha moments and getting to a, I guess, financial wellness uh, uh, pivot, if, if, if you would put it that way. Um, but last year, man, 2020 is, wasn't the best year for a lot of people. But um, within that year, I was able to not only gain a higher paid position, but um, I actually paid off one of my student loans that I think I don't, um, I don't thank myself enough or I don't, you know, bring it back enough on that paying off one of my student loans, like in full, that, that was a great feeling. And, and I was able to buy a home in 2020. So I was excited. I finished my master's degree finally. And I, it, it was just so many accolades and so many accomplishments like, yo, I'm, I'm doing this. This is great. Right. And then you get the conference call, <laughs> you know, you, you I, I was laid off. This is a month after I closed on my house, this beautiful townhouse. I closed on my house and now I'm being laid off. No income coming in. The, the I, remember, feelings, I remember the likes. I remember people, you posted, like everybody always posts. And you yeah. The likes are coming in. Like, I, like, I had like close to 500 likes. Like, what? Like, what? <laughs> like, People you know, want to know the gyms. They're like, give us the gyms. Yeah, like, how did you get this home? You know, like, I, I felt like that girl. Like, I, I felt good. And, you know, and, and everything was just, like, great. And um, to, to get laid off, like, I was extremely, extremely scared. Like, I didn't tell you guys almost a week or two <laughs> that I got laid off because I had to process, right? But I didn't cry. I, I like, I panicked a bit. Anxiety kind of filled in my, my chest. Like, your, your chest feels tighter. So that's how I know it was anxiety. But um, I, I remember sitting there in the guest bedroom. I, I was in my office sitting there and looking out at my neighborhood. You know, it was a beautiful day. It was, it was in um, November, December, beautiful day. And I'm just looking like, yo, God brought me too far. I came too far too far in everything that I have put my effort in and everything that I have like fought so hard to get to this point for him to just let me fail like this. And I, I spoke it out loud. I was speaking to myself and I'm just like, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm afraid. And I don't know what to do, but I felt as though something came over me to, to say that I'm going to be okay. I told myself, like, I think I, I said like twice or three times, I'm going to be okay. And I took a deep breath. I stopped looking out and, you know, the neighborhood, I stopped looking out the window. And I just, I just went to work. I got on the uh, computer. Um, first, you know, I told, told my significant other at the time, I told him what happened. I got on the computer, 
file unemployment. Um, I think I um, paid off one of my um, auto insurance and I look for a cheaper auto insurance for renewal. I just start listing everything that I need to do to kind of just um, compile, you know, my expenses. Like, how can I just pay less money? You know, um, what I was making because I was no longer getting that income anymore. I just went to work. And, you know, after, you know, telling my my family member, my sister telling me, hey, you need to apply for this, go ahead and apply for EBT. Like, everything that I was doing, and I'm and I'm just talking to my best friend, she revamped my resume for me. She's like, okay, this is what you can do. And, you know, just revamp this, say this a little bit differently. And that entire week, and I, and I was still scared. Like, it, it was just a feeling like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I just really can't explain it because I still knew I was going to be okay. I'm like, and, and, and I think I had to boast a bit and write down my accomplishments. I remember Lovely at a, it was some like live Facebook thing you were doing or something, but you always mentioned about writing down your accomplishments, uh, things that you have accomplished, things you have done. And I remember in the living room, I was just writing down my accomplishment, like finishing, uh, paying off one, one of my student loan debt, uh, over 6,000, you know, getting my master's degree, getting a home, biggest accomplishment for me, right? So I remember writing all these things and, you know, being featured in these articles and CNBC. I'm like, yo, I've done this all in one year span, less than a year. I can get over anything at this point. So uh, I think with that, it kind of just boosts my confidence in reaching out to um, some people, some students in my program and getting interviews just by doing that. And that entire, I think, two or three weeks span in that first month, of doing job application. The first job, the first job recruiter that contacted me is the job that I have now, right? And that first interview, I, I went in and say that, hey, if it doesn't work out, it's okay. And it's fine. There's still other opportunities for me to um, kind of expand and grow. Like I was still in that, that uh, I guess, reassuring mode because first you know you get your anxiety you're scared and everything but I was still reassuring myself and and that's the job that I end up getting two months after being laid off and the fact that I I got the job making twenty thousand dollars more I cried like let let me do clear like I cried (laughs) like I was just in shock and and, and looking back in retrospect and I remember having a conversation with uh, Lawrence about it I hated my old job I could not stand the manager. Like, it was so toxic. And I was telling, you know, Lawrence trying to reassure me, yo, yo, it's just a job. It's like, but I hate this job. <laughs> I hate the culture. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I really wasn't yeah. trying for it to get to me. But, and I just knew if I didn't leave this position, they were going to let me go. And it happened. Like, I, you know, I think I just placed it out there. God let you go. God let me go. God let me go. But all, it all came into circle to know that um, the mindset I had before and to the things that I had put in um, position for myself, that it, it, it all just worked out for the better. That was really my hot moment. It all worked out for the better. Like it, it wouldn't have come to this if, if I didn't have those savings, if I didn't um, have a home, like I, at least I have a home. And that's the thing I had to remind myself, like I'm not homeless. You know, I'm not scraping to, you know, like find all these things, whatever. I can always rent out my home. That's an option. You know, I didn't think about it that way. So it was just positioning my mind to think about it more on a positive perspective. But doing that constantly and and really sitting down with myself and this didn't work out. How can I make this work out better for next time? And it it, is it's it's great. That's that's all I can say. It's it's great. And it is in the moment of like. I, I can I can work through anything <laughs> at this point. I really that can. Is, so that's that really ends up being part moment. of the story. That ends up being yeah. part of the story you tell and the way you tell it because struggling is part of the human condition. I think yeah. everybody goes through it. Everybody goes through, especially because of social media. Everybody only see the highlights, but we don't see the low times, and it makes yeah. it harder for you to you know really kind of cope. You know, cope with the scenario that you're in because you think everybody else is living a, a, the best of lives. You know, right. because they don't, they really don't document when it goes bad. Um, for me, I've, I actually had those moments where I was stripped down. I was back in uh, 2012. And I think for a lot of people, especially black women, you don't see black men in that vulnerable space, right? I was in that car. I, I, I didn't, I don't know how to cry, cry, 
But was it a Honda? Um, no, it was a Camry. It was a Camry. <laughs> and it had, the, a, the, the AC sucked, so it okay. was cracked. Okay. So it was hot. It was rainy. I didn't have okay. a little sign rain thing, so I had to roll down the window, take some of that that water. You know say roll it back up again, <laughs> and you feel so sad and depressed in that moment. Like, dang, you in that year, twenty twelve, was such a like a radical year of just things happening over and over again. From, uh, I believe at the time I didn't finish the, my master's program. I wasn't doing well in there. I was adding on student loans. One day I looked at it, it was like $80,000 worth of master's student loans debt. So it's already stacking up. The girlfriend I had a, a, uh, at the time at the very beginning of the, uh, that year, she basically kind of just left me because she felt that other people were, were going to give her more of an opportunity for financial security. So she she left me. I'm like, all right, cool. Like I was kind of like, well, you know, you can take anything. Just that's that's the first to go. The next thing, somebody hit my car. So it was their fault, and I had to chase down to get their the the their insurance to fix the car. So that's another big issue. You know, imagine driving around with a car that barely works, and now it got a hit on the side. It it fractures your emotional psyche and <laughs> it messes you up because people judge you, make it seem like you're the one that got the accident, but it's actually somebody else. On top of that, um, at the time, my, my dentist said I had to take out my wisdom teeth to start to hurt. So not just one, but all four. And because, oh, I, didn't have, yeah, because I didn't have insurance at the time, he's like, well, you know, you, you, can't, you have to get this. It'll cost you this much money. I think it's about like five grand in the end I had to pay for, all, for everything. But in that moment, I was like, uh, I don't need to get the, the expensive uh, Novocaine or whatever other stuff to get there. I literally got a wisdom, my wisdom teeth were pulled with nothing but local anesthesia. That was it. You know, they put it all in there. I felt every crack, every pull, every tug, all the fixing, everything, because I just didn't have the money to even have the insurance. And I've seen people that have been there. Medical medical expenses like it takes people down a peg, and it, I think yeah. it probably cost me like ten grand in totality. But ultimately, it was just a problem on top of every other problem. While you're, you know, people you're trying to get in a relationship with, they're looking at you like you're trash. So yeah. the first job opportunity I had in 2012, later on that year, was for a job, or the only position I even allowed me to get it was making twenty three thousand dollars per year as an admin secretary for the the Florida Agricultural and Services uh, Department. So I try to make the best of that job as much as I can. Like they only paid once a month too. It's not only that you had a cheap paycheck of like, you know, 50, I think it was like $1,300 uh, for that month. It was just one time about to hit on that one Monday or something like that. And that was it. And after that, you got to make that sucker stretch the entirety of month. month. And yeah. it was, it was hard. It was very difficult. You got to pay, you know, your credit card debt, your medical stuff, all this other thing, all while you're thinking that you failed at life. And you, you have to put on that bold face and say, you know, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And one day, you know, I started, like you said, acknowledging some of the accomplishments that I had. And one of them was I had a successful run in the Marine Corps. I was a veteran. I was like, I've known how to, you know, adversity. I know these tough times. And one day I was like, you know what? I'm going to go ride this bike. And not only ride this bike around the corner or whatever it is, I rode a bike for 75 miles. There was a trail that was uh, back and forth in, to- in total was 75 miles, but I just got on that trail and I, and I biked it. And that experience itself really, one, you run out of water, you run out, like you're in the middle of nowhere. You're the, like, you, you see Confederate flags every once in a while. You're like, mm, I, I might want to keep pedaling. <laughs> and and I, the hours start hitting you when it's four hours in and you got to get home. You're like, you, you got nothing left. And I think that's part of the, the, the entirety of what sat me back to reality. Like you do get to the point where you have nothing left in the tank and then you still got to give it a little bit more, more, yeah. you know, while other people, they don't, they, they get off the bike, they, they panic and they just sit there and they just completely let the depression kind of take them over. But ultimately I just kept on, you know, biking to a point where I, at one point I was craw- to get upstairs. I was crawling up the stairs because my legs just gave out. That's how bad it gets. Like you just like, you're really crawling into the home. And when I got back in one of my room, it's like, hey, how was the ride? I'm like, it's terrible, but it's done. <sighs> and after that day, I, I took away from that an experience that I'll never forget. Like it really pushed me to remember that I'm made of um, what's it called? Sterner stuff. I can actually be better than what I, what I was yesterday and I can actually try. 
And ever since then, my life has radically improved. About a year later, I was making, um, well, six months later, I was making $32,000 a year because I shifted jobs. After that, I shifted again to making 64, six months after that. And now I'm making well over $100,000. All of this because I took that back ride. That really changed me. I acknowledged, you know, the mistakes that I made. I acknowledge the successes that I've had, and I allow myself to be stripped down to that point where there's there's no there's no bravado left. There's no ego. There's no pride. When you got no job, no money, no nothing, you're yeah. you're, you're at the bottom. And at, at the very least, the only thing I can say about the bottom, there's only one place to go. It's up. It's up. Exactly. Woo! We out here with some financial therapy you know out here. Saying, I didn't, you know, we, a- we came in there. <laughs> Heavy. That's, that's real. Uh, lovely and out there in the, in the shock faces <laughs> what's going on in life and i did want to share a couple stats though uh with everybody because i think the mckinsey i'm like i'm gonna say i think mckinsey and company released a report called the economic state of black america what is and what could be it's a collaboration between the institute of black economic mobility and the mckinsey global institute Ultimately, they found, and I'm going to scroll down to the actual parts that make sense. They found that a lot of Black people, uh, 20 of the occupation that we typically occupy, make up 60% of the jobs that we have, which is really part of the racial wealth um, gap disparity. 43% of Black workers are in jobs that pay less than $30,000 annually. 30% of public spending goes to programs that feature um, and amplify uh, wealth disparity as far as like, you know, I guess home ownership and things like that, or even credit card repair. Uh, Then additionally, the median uh, black family's wealth is at least as of 2020, $24,000. That's the total amount that we have. Majority of that comes from uh, what I would say is the thing, the assets like your car. That's where majority of that comes from. And 2.7 million Black Americans live in deserts that lack multiple vital resources. As we always hear, there's a food desert, but food desert, technically right. it's not just a food de- desert, it's an opportunity desert, and it's also a time desert. Exactly. So like if you're from Miami or even South Florida, a lot of Black people go from one area of town, grab on a, get on a bus, and they ride all the way to another part of town, which is about uh, anywhere from 45 to two hours away. So you, you have to add that to who we are when we're thinking about, you know, how we live our lives functionally. Your parents, they, they're gone for a vast amount of time throughout the day, and they can't provide more than just that. And that's what becomes part of the wealth disparity, um, discrepancy that we have. And I think, you know, you know about the Black stats in regards uh, to uh, Black businesses, right? Um, lovely. Yeah, I mean, so lovely. Can you drop, so you drop some, some heat for us? Yeah, I'll pull them up. I have a whole um Oh you got a list? Yeah, it's my it's my um Well as you pull in us, I'm gonna add this one thing. It says 3.5 years, we have a 3.5 years lower pre-pandemic life expenses expectancy as black Americans. Life expect expectancy. expectancy. Yeah, being that you know we just basically die sooner. Either I think it's probably due to stress and opportunities. Yeah. In, in, in healthcare, like I think I heard, um, it was uh, uh, Wang. You know, he was uh, what's his name? One of the previous presidential candidates, Alex Wang, right? Alex Wang. Oh, you talking? I know. I know you talk about like um, Wang Gang, Wang Gang, Wang Gang. Yeah, Wang Gang. Yeah, yeah, it's so, Yang, it's Yang, <laughs> Yang, 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 Yang,
<laughs> like you're out here full blown Korean at this point, huh? I'm, I'm like, I don't think that's a, a common Korean. But anyways, uh, but yeah, he had a, a good quote about um, being poor just costs more in terms of just when when you mentioned about the wisdom tooth that you can afford, you know, the wisdom tooth. Let's say you couldn't afford it at all, so now you're going through time and your your teeth is, is deteriorating. Right. And um, so that costs more. And now you got to take off work because you get, get this tooth, you know, um, resolved and everything. So let's say, you know, you don't have paid time off. So now you're behind on your bills. So there's there's so much of like these tears and it just, you know, it it, it, it bounced on each other constantly like this pile of things because you don't have that uh, wealth um, opportunities or that racial a wealth gap that is constantly being um, pushed out right now. So being poor really costs more. It really does. Yeah, they say the being poor is the hardest job in America. And I believe it. Mm. I, I've been poor. I know it. And I've seen a lot of people that have been even poorer than I was. Mm-hmm. And I've lived that lifestyle. It is extremely difficult because you're going from point A to point B from hard job to other people manipulating, you know, the system to benefit off of you. So, for right. example, you can make, I was making like, I guess, 250 wow. a week working for FedEx or something like that after like really like four, literally 40 hours a week, so, you know, like really put in some stuff grinding into your yeah, body. FedEx workers work hard. And yeah. you get like 250, you're like, man, that's it. And then some people, they take it to check cashing store and those places charge, you know, interest of upwards to 300%, you know, yep. over time. And all of this is just chipping and chipping away especially as you just get older and older and it's just not going to get easier. So there yeah, are ways to fix it, but man, it's hard. It's, it's a reoccurring cycle of, of poverty that we don't discuss. Um, and I'm very familiar with a check cash uh, place. And oh, we know. We it's all not, know. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not the greatest uh, feeling at all um, being back in uh, college and have to uh, take a take out a loan you know I guess a loan and and, and that at that time I didn't realize how high the interest rate were or identify I'm just saying okay oh I I just pay them back but it's it's a recurring cycle because I already paid the debt or whatever I need to pay off with that loan but now I have to owe back the the check cashing place and you know it it was constantly and they take a fee they take a fee they take a fee exactly Exactly. I, I forgot how did I stop. I think someone gave me money and, and then I didn't have to do it anymore. So it kind of stopped the cycle. But but it was like yeah. this constant back and forth, back and forth. I'm just like, yo, I need to stop doing this. Like how but I, I had to pay him back. <laughs> you know, and I think, you know, and at that time too, uh I had some college homegirls. Uh I think what she did was she didn't pay him back. I still remember she did not pay him back. And they went, you know, at, at some point they go into your your uh, checking account to just, you know, they forcibly take the money out, they let the money out. But um, she didn't have any money. Now. The, the money was already negative <laughs> in that account. So she she transferred her money to another bank. So that's what she did to kind of break that cycle. But she still owed the bank <laughs> all this money, you know, the the, the fees and stuff. It, it's it was just yeah, it's it was probably, just yeah. Toxic. She probably destroyed her credit and all that stuff. Yeah, you know, exactly. Still owed somewhere. It's a it's a lot of problem. I think that's another conversation for another podcast. Like all the right. stories that we have, like stories yeah. of being, you know, in the in the opposite direction of being super wealthy. And now that we're mm-hmm. working on, you know, being wealthier, I'm happy that we're sharing these conversation through the Financial Agreeable Podcast to let people know that we 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 like oh yeah, we did all these things. We made mistakes. We, we had some successes and at this point life is getting a little bit better, but we haven't forgotten the people that we really want to help. Right. Exactly. Well, let me round out with some black, black business stats here and then we're going to close out so that you guys can come back for another episode and we'll be deep diving into it. I'm not going to tell you guys all the stats because there's so much and I have a whole list, but I'll go into the philosophy of what these statistics mean for our businesses. So an average right now, there's about 2 million black owned businesses, which is not a lot because we, we make up 13% of the population. So that really means we own really only seven to 8% of actual businesses in the United States. That's problematic because if you look at the stats of wealth, having small businesses or being invested in businesses actually helps people grow their wealth. So I want to give you context for that. Another thing is that most of the firms out of only about 900,000 own um, that own businesses actually pay people out. 
which means that most operations or Black-owned businesses are solo operations. Solo operations do not scale. If you cannot scale, you are not building wealth. You just have created yourself a job. Um, and that's not necessarily good for growing businesses. And although you might have heard over entrepreneur.com and Forbes.com that um, Black women are the fastest growing new business owners, the problem is they're not raking in the revenue. On average, most firms don't make more than $24,000 a year. That's the number compared to their counterparts in the women category that are making over $141,000. And then if we go to the black, the white male that are making over $700,000 on average of their businesses. So when you start looking at those percentages, they're not good. So while starting a business is cool, if you can't grow it to become at scale so that it can make revenue, then it actually becomes a liability. People don't want to hear that, but it's just the truth. I would rather you being at a job making 50, 60, 70,000 than at, at a, create a business that's only making $24,000 a year where you cannot be able to help your family and also help yourself. So I'm going to end with those. <laughs> I think those are hard hitting, but I think we'll do a whole, whole episode on Black businesses and we will talk about like the instances of what it really takes to build a business. And also more than likely, um, capital is also a problem, but if you don't have good credit, you don't have assets, you cannot get a great loan from businesses. So it's multi-layered. One thing affects another thing that affects another thing that affects another thing. And we only get about 1% of the funding. So I hope that you heard what you heard because that's just... <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. And I know we've gone through a lot of conversation today and I hope we didn't scare you guys. We, <laughs> we just want to share some stories first so you know who we really are. Uh, as always, my name is Lawrence, you know, Delva Gonzalez because I'm freshly married and freshly changed my name. And <laughs> just wanted to drop my name in there because I'm cool like that. And we got to talk about that. That should be a cool episode. Like that would be definitely a cool black families and joining. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's a toxic conversation. It's an emotional conversation for me. It's totally fine. It's totally hey, fine. I, I'll, I'll talk. I, I don't mind. I'm just Let's make him cry. Let's do it. Oh, yeah, I could try. It never happened. <laughs> exactly. Let's rub our fingers together in Atlanta. It's a, it's a hope and a tear. You know, it's a hope. It's a hope. It's going to be a great, I think it'll be a great conversation. We won't probably do it. We'll give you a chance to kind of warm up, you know. Get, no, don't even warm it up. Let it marinate. It hasn't care. been a year yet. It hasn't been a year yet. Let it marinate. No, I let it, I let it all ride. I, I don't have no problem with doing this. I know we're going to talk about a lot of different topics here. You know, either it be, you know, just personal finance directly, budgeting, investing, buying a home, or even just a lot of different stories that I think, you know, that's the true essence of financial grill, the intersection between everything that, we live and play in this world. Right. It's hard. It's not easy. It's something that we have to process our own personal relationship with ourselves, our relationship with other people, our relationship with money, and our ideals of money as well. So we're going to be talking a lot of these things. It's going to grow a lot of people as well. So I'm happy. Yes. All I'm right. excited. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. And my name's Atlanta Helsing. <laughs> not Mary, but Atlanta uh, so I really appreciate it. I'm so excited to um, hear more story because as we talk more, I'm learning more and more about you guys, you know, personal um, stories and ideas. So, you know, possibly bringing guests in and other topics. So I'm all about sharing because sharing is, is, is powerful because our stories are powerful um, and we learn from them and we pivot from them. Uh, I'm in a great example of uh, sharing my own stories with others. So I'm here for it. So let's do it. The, Financial Grio. FG. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> FG. It looks really nice. I, I'm just thinking about TFG. Is that good? The, yeah, I like that one. TFG. All right, guys. Thank you for so much for tuning in. This was the Financial Grio with lovely Mardellis, Atlanta Alcine, Lawrence Delva Gonzalez. And I hope to hear you guys again. Well, you guys, we won't, we won't hear you. Yeah, but where can they find us? Oh yeah, we got to do that. I'm, I'm sure there's going to be something in the show notes. Um, Lawrence has a great um, podcast. Well not, well, not podcast. Well, he has a great... <laughs> can I talk to him about myself? Start. Can I just like, everybody do themselves? You don't have yeah, to do okay. Lawrence want to talk about himself by himself. So let's make that happen. So yeah, give it to him. Let's Lawrence, you can go first. Lawrence, wait, oh, oh, okay. I'm, I'm, I'll go first. I, I just, hey, ladies, allow me to go first, so therefore I will. It's not toxic here, so <laughs> it's not gender binary, none of that stuff. We got, you know, 
<laughs> obviously there's no toxic there's no patriarchy you know like everybody's themselves oh my well um yeah my name is Lawrence um Devil Gonzalez uh you can find me on the interwebs at www.theneighborhoodfinanceguy.com it's the entire word theneighborhoodfinanceguy.com you can also find me on IG I post uh, about financial literacy budgets um investing ideas and even ways that you can structure and do money management better and over time it's garnered a lot of attention I think a lot of people love the content and we've also, me and my wife, been featured on the Business Insider. So I'm better than, you know, these people, these other people. Oh, my gosh. Here we go. I, anywho. Hey, I, I, I had to be humble. I had to be humble. Anywho. Anywho. What's up, guys? So you can catch me on YouTube. I do have a YouTube channel that I launched last year. Um, it's under my name, Atlanta, A-L-A-I-N-T-A. Well, I talk about personal finance. Um, I also talk about self-development and just like stories of others like we're doing here on the Financial Griot. I mean, you can catch me on Facebook uh, under my name as well, Atlanta. Or if you want to shoot me a question, you know, LinkedIn, a lot of people um, ask me random questions as well. So um, I have some articles posted on there. Um, I've been featured on uh, the Neighborhood Finance as a guest uh, content creator, um, writer. So you can find me on there as well. So I'm here. I'm out here in these ego streets. What about you, lovely? Um, let's, let's, let's see. I, let me just talk about what, what's taking all my time right now, which is I'm the CEO of 1159 uh, Inc. We are a um, innovative consulting firm. So we help businesses go to scale. And what scale means is actually being able to um, expand your business more than a solo operation, more than a couple employees so that you can actually build out wealth and pass it along for a legacy. So we take your ideas, we take your um, probably failing parts of your business and make it work together in um, harmony. But on my regular post personal um, Instagram at Lovely Mardellas, I literally just share my lessons along the way. Like you'll see me share my tweets, you know, more, more and more I'm going to be doing some video. I really just want to help people see that they can do their life by design. They can do it with actually detail and precision of what they want to do, um, what they want to become. So it's just for the most important thing for me is if anybody comes across my content is that you realize that you don't have to live your life the same way um, over and over and over, but you can actually scale it. You can make it beautiful. You can actually be happy. I think I spent a good amount of time in depression and I didn't realize that until like years later. That's what that was like. Oh, I'm depressed. Things are not going well. That's because I'm not living my life for myself. Oh, I can make a change about that. So that's what my content's all about. And I hope to um, share in my writing, my video. But mostly I'm out here just building businesses so that I can take over the world one day. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> not bad, not bad. And thank you guys for actually sticking with us the entirety of the time. I know we took an entire hour of your life and I hope that we added some functionality some effectiveness some ideas even some aha moments because i think a lot of people they only see the successes but they don't see kind of the work that it takes uh, to get there mm-hmm. and this is the context this is that in you know now you're inside the web you know you're inside our little circle you know all our secrets so you can you know, <laughs> it's us, you know, you can feel, i know he failed you know like that kind of thing so i do yeah, hope that, that you come it. back and you shoot us like whatever five stars and whatever other ratings that, that are out there Share with a friend. That's what I'd say. Anybody got anything else to say to roll us out? Subscribe. Subscribe? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, I got to do that, too. I keep forgetting. (laughs) So when you get a chance, guys, make sure you subscribe to my uh, channel on YouTube. It's under my name, Atlanta, A-L-A-I-N-T-A. And also, I'll I'll give a moment to post... Um, you know, information for our, our podcast here, the um, F T F P no T F G T F G that I love. I'm trying to act like you know, place create this acronym financial, for financial real. <laughs> exactly why we we should not invite HBCU members. <laughs> you know what? I, I said what I said. I said what I said. We 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 do have a we have a VP that is from HBCU, but there's some other HBCUs you just don't invite. Just let you know. <laughs> Don't, don't we, we, we made it to the whole podcast towards it. Without, without, you see what I mean? There had to be a bus, and we had to throw somebody under, and it just had to happen. It had to be me. Whatever. So make sure you guys subscribe to my channel. And make sure. Subscribe to my channel. You guys know that we're not, we're positive people. Please, please, please. Go, go Bices. Go Bices. 
Oh my goodness. Well, you guys subscribe to the Financial Greed Podcast and please leave a review. That's how these podcast things work. The more reviews you leave, the higher we rank, the more we rank, the more people we reach. So subscribe and leave a review. I know it's our first episode, but let us know. How did you enjoy it? And if you didn't, that's totally fine. Um, we'll take feedback. But either way, um, Lawrence and Atlantis gave me those look like what feedback. But we will <laughs> feedback. <laughs> we will take feedback from our li- our beautiful listeners here, and that's a wrap. Yay! Wrap, wrap, wrap. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Financial Griot Podcast, powered by the Wealth Builders Collective.